This is episode 78 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's face it. The legal, tax, and financial aspects of our businesses and creative ventures are areas that many of us avoid. We've been conditioned to be afraid of them, in the case of legal and tax matters, and diving into the financial realm naturally makes people uncomfortable. But avoiding them is like trying to build the third floor of your business without building its foundation. Kyle Durand joins me today to jam about the three essential pieces of your business's legal, tax, and financial foundation. I ask him some of the common questions I get, so listen in to see if he answers a question you might have. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Cal Durand is a business and tax attorney and founder of several companies, including The Preset Group, a unique small business-focused law and accounting firm in Redmond, Washington, and Ardeal, an online software service for creating, sending, and signing legal agreements. Kyle earned a Bachelor of Science from the United States Naval Academy, a Juris Doctorate from the University of Southern California, and a Master of Laws in Taxation from the University of Washington. Providing cutting-edge business management tools and techniques, he helps small business owners to navigate the complex and often confusing maze of financial and legal issues they face on a daily basis and to build businesses that provide the income, freedom, and lifestyle they desire. In the midst of running multiple businesses, Kyle's an extreme athlete. He's been on American Ninja Warrior, run the Iditarod Trail, and routinely pushes his limits while hiking, biking, or swimming. He's our kind of crazy and still manages to get it done. Kyle can be found online at kylederand.com. So I often talk about Kyle as being the ninja commander because of his background being on the American Ninja Warrior and his, um, you know, current service in the Naval Reserve and things like that. So we have we have a long, um, a long back and forth joke about that. Um, he is a as I say to a lot of people, he's who I would want to be when I grow up, right? In a lot of different ways. Um, and so Kyle, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today to getting off of the Adirondack trail or whatever randomness that you're into right now and, and sharing, um, your background and your expertise with us. Well, thanks for having me on Charlie. It's been, uh, it's been a long time coming, (laughs) a long, long time coming. So, you know, one of the things I love about you, Kyle, is your net job in, in all of the right ways, right? So you earned a Bachelor of Science from the United States Naval Academy and then a Juris Doctorate from the University of Southern California. But wait, there's more. A Master of Laws in Taxation from the University of Washington. Um, so it would be obvious to say that you like learning, but what was it throughout all of that with the legal and tax stuff that was just something that's like, you know what, I'm going to go that deep with things because you didn't have to. No, not at all. And people assume when I, uh, when I tell them that I'm a tax lawyer or that I have a tax background in, in, in law that I just love that stuff and just eat it up. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. (laughs) Really where, where that, the reason I dove took that deep, deep dive into that is that I wanted to know like all the ins and outs and the nitty gritty about being an entrepreneur and being, you know, a good one. 
And I, I, at my core, am a questioner, and I'm very curious. So um, as I kept pulling threads, I would follow those threads. And those threads you know, led me to law school to learn about how to set up a business and how to do transactions properly. And then you know, asking all those questions and, keep, and pulling those threads led me to go on and get my postdoctorate degree in tax because I wanted to learn more about finance and how the financial side of businesses worked and, and down to the nth degree, you know, the, all that nitty gritty. So in the end, I could take it back and apply it to my own business. And then, um, you know, I started helping clients apply that um, to their businesses as well. So in other words, it's a general theme of you being a glutton for punishment, right? Uh, because if, if that's not something you like, like to go that deep, man, whew, um, I'd have to check out that. And that's another reason why you're one of my favorite people. Yeah, I would say it's less a glutton of, for punishment and more that uh, like a value thing, right? Like a curiosity, that curiosity just drives me and it'll keep driving me. So I will just keep digging and digging and digging. I'm like, you know, a dog looking for a bone when, when I have a question, I'll just keep going after it. Great. And you know, another thing that, um, and, and we've talked about this in the past is when we think tax attorney, I have a certain image of tax attorney, right? Not only are they attorneys, but they're tax attorneys, right? Um, so, you know, one of the things that, that I, I hope the listeners will appreciate here is that you're so far from a tax attorney in the way that you view things. And, and that's a really important perspective that we have because, you know, um, a lot of entrepreneurs and creative folks are scared of the legal and financial and tax side of, of, of the equation. It's like this big black hole, you pay these people that you'd rather not talk to bunches of money to do things that you'd rather not do. Right. And, um, in a lot of ways it can seem like an expense and the exactly type of expense that you don't want to have. Right. Right. Um, so help us reframe the whole relationship with, if you can, with legal tax and finances. So it's not something that we want to stay away with and stay away from like a burning poo, you know? Yeah. Well, th- this stuff, I-, I see it as the foundation uh, for, for your business, really. Uh, there's a story in the Dow Engine, which you may be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's about this, this uh, guy. He goes on a voyage out of, out of his village to a, a neighboring village. Well, it, it's a couple of villages over. And he sees this fantastic building. Um, and he walks up to the building. He's in awe of it because it has three floors on it. He's never seen a building with more than one floor. Mm-hmm. And so he knocks on the door and uh, the owner of the building uh, answers. And uh, the, the, the man asks, well, you know, can I take a tour? Can I look around? And he says, well, sure. So he shows them around. And they go up to the third floor. And they, from the window on the third floor, they, you can see all across the land. And you could, you could see um, all the, the property, the neighboring properties. You could see the, the city in the, off in the distance. And this, this man who's on the voyage, he, he says, you know, well, this is fantastic. This is exactly what I want in my life as well, is, is to be able to, to, have all, to take all this in. And so he goes back to his village, and he contracts with a builder to have a similar building made. And this, this contractor... Um, says, yeah, sure, you know, I, I helped build that building. I know exactly what to do. And so the, the man says, great, well, get, get to work. So 
he goes on another, another trip. And when he comes back, he sees all these guys are digging in the dirt and uh, he's, he's confused. And he goes up to the contractor and he says, well, what's going on here? Um, and the contractor says, well, we're, we're laying the foundation. And he's like, well, what's a foundation for? He's like, well, we're going to put the first floor on it. And the man says, well, why do I need a first floor? And he said, well, you know, I'm thinking he's joking. So we can put the second and third floors on it. Um, and the, the, the man says, well, I'm glad I came back and I could intervene here because I don't want any of that stuff. I just want the third floor. Mm-hmm. And it seems absurd when we tell it like that, right? But generally what happens with a lot of business owners and creative professionals is they want, they see something they want. They, and they, they want, they see like someone who's gone through years and years of setting systems up and building a business to get that third floor. And they want the third floor and they want to go right for that third floor. So this stuff to draw back, to pull back a little bit, but this stuff like the legal and financial stuff is really that foundational stuff that helps build a solid, you know, solid ground for you to put the first and second and third floors on top. Yeah. Man after my own heart there, because, you know, and, and we'll link up to it in the show notes, but, um, you know, at, at PF, we talk so much about foundations on the execution side too, right? Of the personal productivity, self-mastery, the mindset, things like that. Like those are the foundations in which success happens. Mm-hmm. And so many people want the results without doing like, without learning how to manage your time, how to set great priorities, how to like make decisions, how to let go of stuff they shouldn't be doing. Like, you know, so that's the, you know, so when we look at business success, it's kind of two things. Like we've got to lay the good foundations in the legal finances and tax area. That's true as well. Also in marketing and you got to have a business model that works and things like that, right? Some foundational things, but it's like building a great car, but then not knowing how to drive it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where the personal foundations come in, right? That, that you build a great car and you learn how to drive that car and learn how to use it well all the sec, all the non-sexy stuff that gets you the sexy stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so thanks for pulling that out because that's really, when it comes down to it, there's a way for on the legal side and especially some of the, you know, agreements and things like that. It's really setting the expectations and setting the relationships that are going to enable you to thrive. And how, as you know, with, with the work that you do and the work that I do with my clients, a lot of times, when people aren't performing well or the business not going well, a lot of times it's communication about expectations. It's not happening. Yeah. Um, and we do that through sort of management conversations, but we also do that through legal and agreement, com- legal and sort of financial conversations as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I really think there are reasons to do this stuff um, that resonate with, with a variety of different personalities. But for me, I think the reason you want to lay a good legal and financial foundation for your business are, are um, a couple fold here. Um, one is, as you mentioned, you just have better relationships when there are clear expectations, you have better relationships with your customers, with your vendors, etc. Um, and, and those relationships are probably one of, if not the most valuable um, at, or one of the most valuable assets in your business. Uh, an, another reason is peace of mind, not having to worry about, Hey, am I doing something wrong here? Or is the government going to come knock on my door? You know, is the other shoe going to drop in this business relationship? You have that peace of mind. 
Um, and lastly, when you set up this stuff initially and you have these good systems rolling, um, you'll find out that you, you have more money as well because you're not, you're not wasting it, um, whether it's on you know, trying to fix a fire, or, you know, put out a fire that's burning or a, you know, fix a relationship or, or whatever else or paying um, you know, penalties or interest on, on taxes for not filing. Um, so, you know, peace of mind, better relationships and more money. I mean, that, those sound like good reasons to do this stuff. To me. Sounds, sounds like very good reason. Now, to be clear, like, so here's what Kyle has going on for him. Like, so when in precept, you know, a lot of that is helping people with the money and the financial and sort of the tax implications there, right? And then you have the whole legal thing that's, that's conjoined to that, but also somewhat of a separate perspective. And the reason that I wanted to throw that in is because when you actually dive into people's bookkeeping, you dive, dive into the way they're doing our accounting, what you find, and you know, Kyle is in the business of doing it way more than Charlie is. I just do it from an advisory perspective. What you find is all of these um, choices that end up having um, really stressful outcomes in the future. For instance, the choice not to pay your quarterly taxes um, ends up in March and April being a really stressful period for a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Because they've got to make up those types of things. Um, and sometimes it's an ignorance gap. They just don't know what they should pay, right? Mm-hmm. Other times it's like a, I don't have the money now. I'm going to have the money in the future without recognizing that that may or may not be true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to slide that in there because there's two different perspectives. You mentioned both perspectives around this, right? You mentioned the um, protectionism side, right? You're not losing sort of the money. You're not having to pay a bunch of fees and things like that, which can add up quite substantially. But I would like you to talk more about sort of the growth side of things. It's not just about like protecting yourself from being sued and fees, but like how does this type of stuff really help you set the foundations for growth? Well, if you're, if you can never establish and maintain good business relationships, um, then your business is never going to grow. I mean, that's, that's one reason there that from a, from a legal perspective, from a financial perspective, um, I, I find with a lot of the clients that I work with, um, who are struggling is they have no concept where their business is financially. And so, and that comes from just a lack of financial systems in place. Mm-hmm. That lack of clarity is like a, um, a backpack that they're, uh, that they're carrying around all the time. And it's just, you know, it's weighing them down um, because they're scared, really. You know, can they do this? Can they do that? So there's this lack of clarity um, as to where they are and, you know, where they can go, really. And you know, as a member of the military, that when you're sent out on a mission, there are two pieces, well, there are a couple different pieces of information, but um, one is, all right, I need to know where I am now. Mm-hmm. And then I need to know where my destination is, right? And then do I have enough um, assets, logistical support to get to my destination? And that's what these financial systems do, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because we would never, ever, well, I I wouldn't. I know you wouldn't either, Kyle. Some people would do this, but we would never say, you know what? Um, we're on the West Coast. We're just going to go to New York and just get in the car and just start driving, right? Um, we would probably want to think about like, well, 
Like how much fuel is that going to take? Like, do I have the money to do that? Like we start to think about these sort of things. Like, where am I? How long is it going to take? You know, where am I going to stay when I get there? Like now there are some free birds that would just be like, screw it. I'm going to go do it. Right. Um, and I love those people. Right. Um, not, not those people like over the fence. I, I wish I had that sometimes, but you know, most of us would recently say we're here, we're going there. It's going to require a certain amount of resources to get there. Let's put them all on the table and see what we've got. Yeah. And you know, it, a level of simplicity that sometimes like not, not to make it too simplistic, but that's really what this foundation stuff is, right? Yeah, it is. And, and another aspect there is, I mean, if you're getting your car, I mean, is there a big hole in like your, your oil? I'm, I'm not, is there a big hole in your engine or your gas tank? Are you leaking gas um, that you don't know of? Right. And so, um, another piece of this, uh, when you set up like the financial system, is that you find out: Do I have these holes? Um, you know, when I help clients set up their accounting systems, and um, many of them are shocked at like how much money they're spending each month on, say, subscription services. Right? It's so easy. Like we have those of us who have online businesses or have any aspect of the business that's online now. And you have a million different subscription services and uh, you tend to forget about them. And so you've got these leaks in your car that you're, you're not aware of. Yeah, you're not aware of and, you, and you'll never be aware of them until, um, until they get to such an onerous point where, you know, you're just like, where does, where's $600 a month creeping out? Like, um, and, and that's, I'm glad you mentioned subscription services because it's one of the things when, when I look over the books of clients and things like that, just from a sort of CFO level perspective, I'm like, what, what is all of this stuff? Like you've got six, 700 bucks here of stuff. Do you use that? And what we tend to find is like, oh yeah, I signed up for that. And then I forgot to unsubscribe. Right. And this has kind of been sitting there charging them every month. I'm like, but if I were to like take $700 and, and like just steal it from you every month, you'd be pretty pissed about that. Right. Yeah. Me taking money. Or if I told you like, you know, well, what it does, I think in a lot of ways is enable a different conversation. It's like, you know what? We can take that $700 and actually maybe hire that VA that you say you can't afford. Right. Yeah. Take stuff. Just found money. Right. Um, so let's talk about the different pillars of the financial system that people want to know about. Cause so we don't continue to bounce around and that's my fault. So what are the pillars? So, well, the, the different pillars of the uh, business foundation, mm -hmm. uh, first of all, to set up the appropriate business entity, um, you know, doing that from a legal aspect. The, the second pillar is to set up a financial system. And the third pillar is to use contracts in your relationship. So it's real easy. You'll, you'll get 10,001 must do's, right? When you're starting a business, um, I boil them down from the legal and financial side of things to three through those three pillars. And so we, we can start wherever you'd like. Let's, let's dig in there. Um, let's dig in there real quick. Um, let's start with a business entity because seems easy enough, right? I just start a business and then uncle Sam taxes me, right? <laughs> I mean, what, what's this whole business entity thing and what should I be thinking about? Well, the, many people have probably heard the term, you know, business entity and what really what it is, is it, it is really the balloon that you put all of your assets and liabilities into business assets and liabilities. Um, and I, I look at it as also a hedge against failure. 
mm-hmm. because we were always we we're always uh, as entrepreneurs out there on the edge. If you're if you want to grow, you've got to take risks. And I myself am a risk taker in business and in my personal life. You're going off on on these different adventures I do, but. Um, I always set up these hedge, hedges against failure. Um, so what the business entity really does is it helps to protect your downside. Mm-hmm. So we in the United States are very fortunate in that um, we can start a business and we can fail and it's okay. And you can pick up the pieces and move on. Um, what you don't want is you don't want the, that failure to follow you forever. And so with, it, with this business entity, you're, um, those, if, let's say you do take that risk. Um, it's like the airbag in your car. Um, you know, it, it's going to blow up and then you're going to be able to you know, walk away from the wreck and go, wow, that, that kind of sucked. And I learned some lessons. And I'm going to move on to my next business. Yeah. So um, I know... So we have to put a disclaimer on this and I'll make sure to put it in the show notes as well that um, this does not con- constitute legal or financial advice um, that, that makes sure that, that, uh, that, that Kyle and I are, are preserved from them. Right? So we'll make sure to put that disclaimer in the show notes, but I'm also going to say it there. This does not constitute legal and financial advice. Please consult a, a professional um, and, and engage them for, for consideration. So, um, but when we look at it, Kyle, so let's talk about entities. There's partnerships, there's sole proprietorships, there's LLCs, LLCs, taxes, a partnership, LLCs, taxes, and S-corps. There's S-corps, there's C-corps, there's mm-hmm. 503s, there's all sorts of things, right? And I know because when, when people come to me, they're like, I have no idea what any of this means. Mm-hmm. Could, in a general non-advisory and non-prescriptive way, could you say, like, here are really the one to three different configurations that you probably want to consider mm-hmm. to help narrow that search down for people? Yeah, it, uh, of course, it's going to vary, right? In each situation, um, the person just starting off as a solopreneur, um, I, I have a, a point of view that might be a bit contrary to what you might hear from a lot of attorneys, but when you're first starting out, um, it's okay to be a solopreneur, to be a sole proprietor. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, if you are still in the phase of testing a business idea in the marketplace uh, for traction, um, it's, it's okay to be a sole proprietor. And to be a sole proprietor, all you really need to do is you need to go get a business license with um, either the state or city that you're in. Um, and then your social security number is, is what you can use for, for taxation purposes. Um, I, I am of the opinion that businesses should start with the um, simplest configuration at possible. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the default mode for, for one person business. Um, the downside though, is it doesn't give you that um, liability protection. So in order to get that liability protection, you need one of the other types of entities. And you mentioned a couple of them. Um, the mo- one of the most common is the LLC, the limited liability company. And it says it right in the name, you know, it's limited liability for the owners of that business. Uh, and generally, in most states, this is some of the cheapest business insurance that you can buy. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it makes sense in many cases once you find out, okay, I've got this idea, tested it in the marketplace, you know, you've done a couple tests, I have some traction. I suggest, you know, putting in some, um, 
in, into place one of these entities. And generally, the LLC is the first one that people go, go to. Okay, so what trips a lot of people up, though, is it's like, so I've got this website, and it's, it's, it's doing its thing. Mm-hmm. And then I have this other website idea. Mm-hmm. Um, do I need to file a second business license for that second website? Or can I do the DBA thing? Or is there any sort of general non-advisory ways that you can, um, you know, kind of help people out with that one? Well, so let's say the, you've got the first website, um, you've created an LLC, um, you can throw as many business businesses under that LLC or, or lines of revenue under that LLC as, as you want. Um, and then sometimes you don't even need to register a DBA. So let's say, um, you know, you, you've got Charlie Gilkey LLC, right? Mm-hmm. And you decide to um, go out as productive. You, you start selling stuff on productiveflourishing.com mm-hmm. Um all the business, like down at the bottom of the website, when it says the terms or the, if this is brought to you by or whatever else, anytime you have a contract, can just say Charlie Gilkey LLC. You don't need to do anything else. You just need to refer to that LLC in your business dealings. Okay. So thanks for clearing that up because I know that that can trip like trip a lot of folks up. Like, and that's why they think that legal fees have to be a lot higher because they're like, damn, every time I try to do something as an entrepreneur, I got to go pay my, my lawyer 600 bucks to, to like change the contract or change something. And it doesn't really have to be that way. No. All right. So that's entities, a, a, a short run on entities, mm-hmm. um, financial systems. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Financial systems. This is one of those things where like money, money scares the people, right? And money people do weird stuff too. So, um, as we talked about before, a lack of clarity when it comes to money is one of the worst things you can do for your business. Um, and so I highly recommend, um, if nothing else, you start with the, the business, the financial system and the central node of the business financial system is the separate business bank account. I mean, that is crucial. If you take absolutely nothing else away from this talk, Um, take this one point away that you should always have a separate business bank account for your business. Now I'm going to dig in a little bit. Business bank account, you mean separate than PayPal, right? Uh, Yes. Yes. Generally it should be separate. I know some people who have attempted to use PayPal as their central node and it just doesn't work because you can't pay everything with PayPal. Um, and it also in- increases a lot of commingling, right? So commingling is um, just a legal term for when you pay for stuff on the personal side through the business, or you pay for um, business stuff with your personal credit cards, and then it gets very, very confusing. And then you got to pay your accountant considerably more to work that out, right? In in the end. Well, that's and that's the reason I mentioned that this is the component of the financial system, the separate business bank account, because you don't want to mix business with pleasure uh, when it comes to finances. I'm not saying don't go out and have a drink while you're conducting business, because um, actually that's allowed by the tax code. You just need to make sure that it's noted that that's a business expense. So. The, the reason that the business bank account is so important is the commingling factor. And what you want to do is you want to make sure that every single dime that goes into that account is business revenue. And then every single expense that goes out of that account um, is a business expense. And 
A business expense also is when you pay yourself. So um, I recommend you have that business account, all the money goes in, all the expenses go out, plus owner draws, which is that expense um, to you personally. And that gets transferred to your personal account for your personal expenses. And so you gotta have the bank account. So that, that's got it, right? But do you have to start with QuickBooks? Uh, no, you don't. You don't. Um, that that's an overwhelming. That's another thing that over uh, gets overwhelming for people. Essentially, what QuickBooks does is it's like the the little. Um, I, I'm not a medical professional here, but it's it's a little like EKG machine that's um, beeping in the background that's monitoring the health of your money flow plan or your your financial system. Um, so that that's what it does. You don't have to have QuickBooks. There are a lot of different products out there. They're good. I mean, some people, when they have a very, very simple system, they'll even start with a spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting with that for a short while, but given the proliferation of cheap and good tools that we have these days that automate these, um, I suggest you don't stick with it for too terribly long. Yeah. So, I mean, here's a way to think about this. So um, you can do the, the, what's it called? Spread Mart, right? Where you have this whole group of spreadsheets that are doing different things like that. And it's easy to scaffold and grow using those types of things. Um, where most business owners and, and entrepreneurs and founders will run into trouble is as soon as you try to get a bookkeeper or CPA support, um, then you have a huge slog on your hands because they might not understand the, the 17 different spreadsheets that you have and how they link back and forth and, and things like that. And so um, that's where you're going to run into trouble. And so it's, it's really, um, you, you know, people used to hear me say like with, with strategy, there are no free lunches, right? So like you can take on sort of the learning curve of learning QuickBooks yourself or hiring a bookkeeper earlier on. And then that way you have the pain of, you know, either paying a bookkeeper or getting it set up yourself now, but you don't have the pain later or you can wait until later where you're at a certain point. Um, most people outgrow doing their own bookkeeping, right? Because it's just not a, it's not an income generating sort of thing. And there are people who do it a lot better, a lot faster. Um, and so I just wanted to put that on there. You absolutely can start with anything or with, you know, whatever allows you to keep proper accounting of your, of that. And it could be a spreadsheet. It could be pieces of paper, like an actual ledger. If you wanted to go that route, just understand that there's going to be that gulf of, um, there's going to be some pain if you decide to let other people or decide that you're, you're done doing that. Other people are going to use different systems. And that's why in a lot of ways, QuickBooks is really recommended because it's kind of like the lingua franca of, of the, tax and, and bookkeeping world. Yeah. And, and a question I get a lot is when should I get professional help? You know, for, for that's a great um, question. Yeah. And, and I think initially you, you want that professional help because in order to understand how to set up your financial systems, um, it's well worth paying a bookkeeper or an accountant for an hour or two of time um, to get that, those systems or get that plan set up initially. After that, um, it, you can operate the system yourself while your business is, is small and growing and you have the time and it's not taking away from revenue generating activities. Um, but it's really important then at the outset to get that professional help. And it seems, and that's when people generally don't get the professional help. But the problem with that is it sets them up for a rough road ahead. 
Yeah. So let's talk about the local versus virtual thing. Cause that comes up a lot too about like, do I need a local bookkeeper? Can I use a, like, you know, Kyle's out of Washington. Like I might really dig Kyle, but I'm in Oregon. Like, do I need somebody local? What are the advantages and disadvantages? Kind of riff on that a little bit, if you will. Well, these days, given cloud-based software, I mean, the, the virtual we, the virtual accountant or bookkeeper is, is not unusual. Um, in fact, the vast majority of our clients are, are not local. Uh, we, we set it up for that reason, though. We set up our systems and our practice um, so that we can get into other people's books. And, and with like QuickBooks and Xero and the, the other software solutions that are out there, they have what's called accountant access. So if you have your book set up on, on one of those things, um, it's really easy to give access to a bookkeeper or an accountant to get in there and do what they need to do. Um, and, you know, like at a certain point, you'll be in there looking at, all right, how am I doing financially? Where are my profit? You know, what's my profit and loss look like this, but all that stuff, the nitty gritty, like transactions and reconciliations and stuff is just happening. Yeah, it's just happening. What I'll say, and I learned this kind of, you know, switching from Nebraska, which was a simpler state as far as taxes go to Portland, Oregon, which is not so simple, right? Is that there might be some advantages to a local person because they might know some of the peculiarities. Like for instance, if I moved my business two miles away from where it is, um, I would have a significantly lower tax basis, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And whether I do that or not is, is, is something that that's still up for, you know, um, up in the, up in the air, but at least it's useful to know because they might know the peculiar, the peculiarities of the state city and County, um, that you're in and, and can kind of be an advisor. And that's one of the things that we have to think about is when you look at a CPA and some bookkeepers as well, not only are you getting somebody that's in the background just sort of running the book so you don't have to worry about it, but you also have someone else who knows that system better than you. Right. And mm-hmm. you know, you get a guy like Kyle and you know, I realized everyone is like not meaning to sell the hell out of Kyle, but if we're just talking about stuff, but the thing about it is these are people who have gone and studied for, you know, four, six, eight, if you're Kyle, 13 um, years on, on these types of things. And that's just stuff you don't have to know. So you can focus on growing your own business. Right. Mm-hmm. And they become advisors in a lot of ways. Like, Hey, why don't you switch this up? Or, mm-hmm. Hey, I notice, um, for instance, uh, Michelle Manton does our bookkeeper. I uh, does our bookkeeping. She's fantastic. But it's like, Hey, I noticed that you have these two services. I think they do the same thing. Why do you have both? And that's really where good, a bookkeeper or accountant, um, that's one of the hallmarks of a good bookkeeper or accountant. Um, you, what you don't want is, hey, I grab this bunch of information, this box of receipts, right? I throw it over a wall to my CPA once a year, and then he or she throws back a tax return, and I sign it, and we're off, and that's it. What you want is you want somebody who's in your business, like in 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 the books of your business, taking a look at it, using their experience um, to analyze what's going on. Not only just, hey, you know, this, cl- this transaction should be classified as this, but actually like looking at it with a different lens than you would. Yeah. And I'm glad we, I didn't know where you're going there, but I'm, you know, sometimes what people will do is have like a virtual assistant or an admin assistant do their books. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a completely valid route to say that, but I want to say the advantage to paying a bookkeeper or paying a tax professional to do that is um, they might do, be doing more than recording. 
right? Um, they might not, right? So I, I don't want to make generalities because there might be some people that are just recording and they're not paying attention, right? Um, and there might be really, really good admin assistants that are looking at it and saying, hey, why do we do this? Like, we don't use that. No one's talked about that service, right? Mm-hmm. So you can go both ways. But I guess the main point here is um, who's ever doing your books, you don't want someone that's just passively recording stuff. You want someone that's proactively watching, looking for different things, looking for different patterns, looking for different, um, um, different trends that are happening in your, in your books so that they can help you make better decisions eliminating the things that you're not using, um, you know, and, and really, um, helping along with that. And, and understanding what your goals are too. Um, because most of us as entrepreneurs and most businesses, you have different lines of revenue and there may, you may have different goals for those different lines of revenue. Um, for instance, we, you know, I have clients who are building things for cash flow, right? Um, whereas the other items are being built off that to, to be sold off as an asset someday. And knowing that we can configure their books so that when they go to start marketing this asset, um, it's really easy to pull the numbers on it and, and to make it a saleable asset. Fantastic. All right. So the last and maybe the most scariest part of the foundations, right? The most scariest. Yes, I said that. The scariest of them, right? Um, for some people is the contracts. Yeah. Right. So, so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we, we want, we all want to do business with people we know, like, and trust. Right. And my, I would say my goal in using a contract is that I want to continue to like and trust those people once I've started working with them or once we've, we've gotten to the end of our engagement there. And what the contract does is it helps get every, everybody's expectations out on the table at the beginning of the business engagement. And it helps maintain those, those relationships. Um, and I, I, re, I get it. Like if you were, let's say we're working together, I hire you to do, help me with something. Um, you're, you're a friend of mine and you have been for years. And it may feel a little weird to some people that, you know, hey, I'm going to have you sign this contract. But really, what, what I'm saying to you, Charlie, when I'm handing you a contract is not, hey, I don't trust you. I think you're going to hose me here in this deal. What, what it really is, is, hey, Charlie, I really uh, you know, honor and valuable, value this relationship. So I want to make sure that we're both getting what we want and need out of this relationship. You know, I like in this too, um, and I think we've all had a similar experience where like maybe it's a road trip with a friend or maybe a friend and you know, you thought about living with each other or maybe, you know, different relationships. You're like, everything is good. Like, it sounds like a great idea at the beginning. Like, oh, this is totally going to be awesome. Right. And then you're in the car with, with someone on a three day road trip and you realize that they like canned sardines. And you're like, oh man, this is going to be a long ride, right? Um, and, and so contracts and agreements are kind of like that. It, it helps you come up, have conversations about when that can of sardines opens. And you're like, oh boy, this is going to be a bad one, right? Yeah. So it's not one of those things where um, it's just an awkward, contentious conversation as opposed to like, hey, um, I don't like 
you know, canned sardines, like in closed windows through the Phoenix, you know, Phoenix and Arizona area. That's not fun for me. <laughs> so can we avoid that maybe, <laughs> right? Um, do you agree not to do that? And they're like, yeah, you know, and I, and I don't like open-toed shoes, right? Okay, like, and I know it sounds very funny, but that's really what it comes down to at the end is making sure that the energy and love and goodwill that you have in the, in the beginning Mm-hmm. is preserved through that awkward middle stage, right? And through the end stage, no matter whether the end can be great or bad. And I wanted to uh, have you weigh in on this because my observation when it comes to a lot of agreements is um, one, once you get over that, like here, here's an agreement or a contract. A lot of times it's focuses on what happens if the bad stuff happens. Like what happens if this business entity mm-hmm. fails? What happens if this relationship fails? Um, I think we need to focus more on ways in which agreements and contracts protect us if things take off because a lot of times when businesses do take off, right, what is a small thing in the beginning can become a huge thing, especially when there's around shares and partnership and equity and things like that. Mm -hmm. If you're in a six-figure business, not that big of a deal, right? It can't be a big deal. If we're in a seven or eight-figure business, those percentages make a huge difference. And it's, and it's not just the percentages either. It's, you know, the workload too. I mean, that's where I see like the biggest problems happen um, is actually not with, I mean, it, it well, there's percentages, but yeah, I just mean the details of the smaller details that you can wash over in the beginning at the extremes of success or failure become huge, huge sort of divides. Yeah, and they amplify them. Mm-hmm. And it really, I, I see this a lot with um, partnerships, right? Like pe- two people coming together, they're like, you got this great idea over here and I've got this like market reach and, uh, you know, we're going to come together and we're going to rock it. And they do rock it, um, except they haven't really talked about what their the roadmap is for success. You know, you're absolutely right. Like the contract generally says, you know, if things fall apart, here's what happens. But what happens if you're successful? Really? I mean, that's really important. And um, as the business grows or as the thing takes off, it really amplifies any differences in goals too. Like um, I may have a goal of just, hey, I just want to have a lifestyle business and I just want enough cash to cover my expenses and go on a trip every now and then. Um, where you may want like massive meteoric growth and you want to sell an asset later. And you know, that those things, if they're not talked about at the outset, the, when the business starts being successful, can be a serious problem. Yeah, it's kind of like on the strategy side, strategy and business model side, like one of the best questions to answer before you really go into business is what's my exit strategy? Because mm-hmm. your exit strategy will guide so much of how you need to grow the business. If you're building a cash flow generator that you expect to be in the business for, you know, 20, 25 years, then you can take things at a certain rate as opposed to if you're building an asset that you want to be out of in five years, right? Mm -hmm. Two different questions and knowing what the end looks like before you start is again, going back to what we said earlier, like it would be like jumping in the car and saying, I don't know where I'm going. We'll see how this turns out, right? (laughs) Um, As opposed to saying New York is X, right? Um, So on and so forth. And granted, um, I think another thing people get stuck on is that once you create a contractor agreement, it's set in stone, right? It's like concrete. Like once it's there, you can't change it. Yeah, no, that's not, that's not necessarily the case, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is a good thing and can be a bad thing as well. Um, but it all goes back to understanding the person and the, the goals of the person that you're, you're dealing with. 
All right. Can you riff a little bit on the 50-50 partnership? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting um, animal and it's, it's probably in the part in partnerships. It is the, uh, it, I mean, it's the most widespread um, partnership you'll find, right? It's 50, 50. And I get it. Like you want to, um, when you're setting up with a partnership and you, you respect somebody and you respect what they bring to the table, um, you're saying, Hey, listen, we're in this together, right? Like we're in this for the long haul. Um, I, we don't want any have, we don't want to have any power differentials or any of this other stuff. I completely understand that. Um, what is generally glossed over though is, um, what each, the value uh, to the business that each partner is bringing, um, the assets or skills or whatever. Um, and even bigger than that is the amount of time and effort that each person may be devoting to the business. And so these 50-50 partnerships, uh, I used to be a litigator many, many years ago um, before I decided to build stuff instead of tear it down. And um, in litigation, by far, by far, the um, most of my cases as a business litigator were related to 50-50 businesses because one partner felt that the other partner wasn't contributing as much. Yeah. And um, there's in the off chance, and I have recent experience with things in the off chance that one of the minor part or one of the partners dies or is incapacitated and things like that. A 50, 50 partnership can be quite contentious because um, it can create a um, decisional and it, it, unless the, the agreement is written in such a way as it allows for one partner to assume full ownership of the business, mm-hmm. it can also create a, a huge log jam and bottleneck about what to do going forward because um, if dis- decisions are legally jointly made like that and one person is gone, can that person legally make the decisions on behalf of the business? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and granted that seems minor until it happens. And it's like, what can I bring in another partnership? We never talked to another partner to help me with this. We never actually talked about that. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's why that, that agreement, that contract is so important, especially, especially in the partnership context, because you're not just talking about a road trip. Like we're not just going on a drive to Arizona when you're in a partnership, like you're in that together. Like <laughs> this is, this is like a marriage. It's a business marriage. You're in this together. And yeah. guess what? In this, in those, in a partnership marriage context like this, um, yeah, you're going to create a baby, a business. So <laughs> you need to understand that. Like um, a lot of entrepreneurs jump into partnerships willy nilly without, first understanding the goals and values and who they're dealing with. Um, and they jump into that because they get caught up in getting to that third floor. Right. Yeah. So when, so we know how this happens because Kyle, you and I have done this enough, right? You're, you're jamming with somebody and it turns into a joint venture. It turns into a product. It turns into something. Right. And it seems like awkward to be like, right. As soon as you realize you have some type of like, this is something, this is a business or a product to be like, oh, oh, hold up. Let's do the agreement now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and yet you don't want to be really late in the process, like close to launch and then be like, Oh, wait a second, we should be doing an agreement. So mm-hmm. how might we think about navigating that so that we don't stop the creative and collaborative momentum at the same time that we don't end up too close and being exposed mm. in ways that are awkward. 
Well, there's, there's, there are those initial stages where you're jamming on an idea and, uh, you know, you want to test that idea in the marketplace. Let's see how it goes. Um, there's, there's no real huge concern at that point um, because if, well, if you're initially putting in very little when it comes to assets and time and effort and, and you know, you don't, at the po this point, you're just testing. You don't expect a big boom. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that you need to stop, you know, hit all stop at that point, because let's say, again, you and I are, are working on a project together. We're like, well, let's see what we got here. We'll, we'll put up a website, you know, with an email capture form. Like, you know, I mean, we're not talking about a whole lot of, of um, invested in time and effort and money at that point. It's when you actually go out and you're like, all right, we've got something here. We've got a product that or a system or service that looks like it's going to get traction in the, in the marketplace. At that point, it's, it makes sense because you're talking about um, starting to invest more in the way of assets and, and time and bring in revenue, which needs to be accounted for. Yeah. So, um, I'll throw this out there just as something to think about once, you know, we're talking about in an online business context. I think once you start getting like a hundred signups, right? You, that's probably time to start considering having that conversation or like your first thousand dollars. Cause you, that gives you like, wait a second, there's actually some type of market demand here. There's room to grow. Um, so just something to think about. I'm not saying you have to at that time, but, and maybe that's just one of those things as you go into a partnership, you're like, you know, we're not in an agreement yet. We're going to set some tripwires that when this happens, we need to slow down and think about what that's going to be. So, you know, a tripwire um, way of, of thinking about that might be useful for some people so that they don't stop the momentum, but they know that there is some checkpoint where like we should probably, and again, it's, it's not that, well, you get a hundred subscribers and then a hundred people sign up and then they go away or you get, you know, two sales and then they go away. It's what happens when that 10 X's mm -hmm. or that hundred X's. Mm -hmm. um, then you're actually talking about something that has, a, it's an asset that has considerable value. Mm -hmm. And that's where the contention, like we're not going to fight over something that has no value. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of value, we're going to get into a disagreement. Well, and, and it's a good point also. It, it, I'm not suggesting that you, know, you, you go and you set up this full infrastructure for, for everything you do, right? Because uh, that doesn't make sense. And it really does kill the momentum. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it can put a dagger through the heart of any momentum you have if you're concerned with setting up all the financial systems and legal aspects of something that you don't even know if you have something yet. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm, I want to put that on the table because on the one hand, we're, we're, we're saying like this whole legal finances and tax stuff doesn't have to be that hard. At the same time, let's just acknowledge that it can change the tone of a conversation early in a conversation, early in that, especially when so much of it has been built on creative spark and goodwill and just flow, right? To be like, okay, let's go get a business bank account. Let's register it as an entity and then let's, you know, get an agreement in place. It's like, whoa, whoa ah, wow. Hey, like that's a different conversation. Right. And so I want to acknowledge that at the same time that it doesn't have to be a huge thing at the same time. Yeah. I, uh, and, and to approach it from the point of view of, Hey, this is all being done because, you know, I, I respect and appreciate my joint venture partner and the person that I'm, I'm working with here. And I want to appreciate and respect, them and have, you know, them respect and appreciate me at the end of the day. 
Um, I, I myself, trust me, I've been, I've been in good JVs and partnerships and bad ones. <laughs> and it's really nice at the end of the day to be able to walk away from it um, as friends. Yeah. And it's, it's really awesome and nice to walk away from it as friends. It's soul crushing to walk away from them having lost a good friend, right? Having lost a good creative partner, right? And so that's what we're trying to, we're trying to set things up for success for that third floor where you're both out there and you're both saying, you know, win, lose or draw, we're better by the way that we work together, regardless of what happened, as opposed to, I can't even be in the same damn house with that person at this point. Uh, yeah. And so that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah, I, I have been in joint ventures that did not work out for one reason or another, for one person or another. And um, we both walked away from it and we're good friends still. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, I respected that person's opinion that didn't work for them or whatever else. And we had a roadmap for getting out of this joint venture, for that person to get out, for me to get out or to close it down or whatever. Um, and that, I mean, that's a great situation. Like the business did not work and we're still buds. Yeah. And you can start again smarter if you want it to, or you can not start again. Right. It's all sorts of different things. Right. And, um, you know, the context of what we've been talking about in agreements since probably because I leaned it that way has been on partnerships, but the same thing is true with employees. The same thing is true with, um, independent contractor relationships. The same thing is true with affiliate major affiliate relationships and sponsors and things like that. The same things hold true. Is it, you know, if a sponsor wants to sponsor some content, you want to walk away. So you want to set it up so that you're clear about the expectations, but you walk away still having that relationship as opposed to like it being a money dump for them and this kind of awkward thing for you or, you know, um, a, a low play for them and a hugely awkward thing for you. Like that's really what we're talking about is setting up relationships so that no matter the outcomes, they're still thriving and successful. And, um, you know, you're still part of the same creative village. Yeah. And, um, we're talking, and this is where we have the overlap between the legal and financial stuff is part of that, uh, maintaining that relationship is that, um, whatever the relationship is that both parties have visibility on the finances too. Um, because that is, that's one thing that'll, they'll kill a relationship quicker than, than anything else is, um, not having you know, full transparency when it comes to money. Yeah, just full transparency. The other thing I would slide in there real quick is clear terms about when payment is coming. Right. And so it sucks to look at a joint venture and you're like, you have X amount of dollars in that joint venture account. You and your business might need that cash flow for different reasons, but you don't like, you always have to go to your partner and be like, so like, can we like disperse some of that? Or cause it just makes you feel awkward as opposed to knowing we do it on the 30th mm -hmm. of every month is when we split it by X and you can plan on that. Right. And you can count on that. And it doesn't create that awkward situation where you're like, um, I'm needing a couple of grand for payroll. <laughs> like, you know, you don't want to be in that position. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty. So, um, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Like this has been really high content, really high value content. I appreciate you coming and sharing your expertise. Um, if there's one thing that you would want people to walk away at, you know, as sort of a challenge from Kyle, right. Um, and not, not a Kyle challenge. We're not talking about the idea to ride trail or, you know, an ultra marathon, but just one sort of thing that you would want people to take action on. What would that be? I, I, take the first step in, putting together or fixing your financial system. Um, whether that's to get that business bank account 
or to go and set up a, a set of um, books for your business. Like I said, money has this just amazing power over our emotions and our motivation, all that stuff. And having visibility on, on that um, can make all the difference in the world. Fantastic. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Charlie. Okay, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Kyle. Um, what's your first step to getting your financial system in order? And if you do have a financial system, is there an area in which you've been avoiding or you've been kind of, you know, leaving it as that closet that you don't really want to engage with? And what can you do within the next week to start addressing that? I know you can. Will you? <laughs> Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.